Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Choose where we grew up. And yet, these are 
even though they're given to us, we accept them as being foundational for what makes me who I am. And yet, different people can take the pretty much same set of facts and do remarkably different things with them. For example, uh, I lived in Southern California for a number of years in a Latino American neighborhood, folks were mostly from Central Mexico, people from other parts of Latin America, but I had a, one, one young man who, a high school student who was kind of sort of plugged into the youth group my, my last year in Pomona. And uh, his favorite t-shirt, which I think he wore easily like a third of the time, uh, he had a little clothing I saw him wear, but often it was this one t-shirt. And it was super long and had these massive font letters across. And it was like, seriously, like this tall letters across saying, I am Mexican. I am not Mexican-American, I'm not Latino, I'm not Chicano, I'm not, and it's like on and on, like I was born in Mexico, and it continued on the back. I mean, this was like a manifesto, right, that he was wearing around. He was making really clear what he was doing with his identity, right? aside from the irony that it did in fact mean I am Mexican and not Chicano. Even there, the identity was maybe not as clear as he was presenting it to me. Uh, similar, I imagine, similar if sort of life circumstances growing up, their accent was certainly the same. Uh, I was flying out of France to Guadalajara, Mexico, uh, around that time with a very tall, big football player, physique, kind of American white guy. And I was over on the, the plane in Guadalajara, Mexico to spend a week uh, with some church folks we could down there and kind of learn about the ministry and hopefully learn some things. We could do that in LA. And um, about the time I sat down, I was feeling big old foot thumps on the back of my seat, just kind of rocking forward. And I heard the kid noises behind me, so, you know, initially, but it kept coming. So eventually, like, my friend Mark and I turned each other like, yeah, we need to say something. Yeah, so one, two, three, we both got up. And Mark, my friend, is really just big and posing, and we thought that would be enough to sell the kid down. But the kid did not lose motion for a moment, seeing these two adult faces pop up. Uh, this 10-year-old kid, uh, this, this he, he saw, he looked at my friend Mark, and he looked at me. I kid you not, the first words out of his mouth, in a perfect, you know, imaginative American accent is, you guys guys him? <laughs> Which I mean, look at me! And it was the very first time, not the last, but the very first time that question had ever been asked of the English side. But I managed to also not completely lose my composure and was able to respond with, No, are you? And so you need to understand the one detail. This uh, probably about 10 year old kid, about the age of my son Jonathan now. Uh, this 10 year old kid was. Actually, pretty dark complexion with very kind of high cheekbones, kind of square fit. What my facial features are, what my like, you know, my friends in LA would call Indian indigenous, right? He he's not sort of just generically that you know mestizo mixed. He's he, he's more of the like indigenous side of the ancestry. But it was very clear how he identified himself. No, I'm not Mexican, I'm aware. He said it's right next to Grandma, who I'm guessing was in the States on a tourist visa, because again, she was not speaking any English, or at least she was living in Africa for us. 
See, even this kind of thing, ethnicity, which seems like Tishisness, is a bedrock of identity, doesn't actually give us much of a roadmap for how we construct our life on top of it. I think some of the angst in our culture at the moment around all these other identities is you kind of end up in the same place that you can acknowledge the particular facts of how you are constructed and what you have been given in life, but it still doesn't really tell you the answers to the questions that we all find ourselves asking to figure out that simple question. Wait, who am I? They're important data should be enjoyed. Every part of our ancestry, economic status, education, internal, all the stuff that we're constructed out of, none of that should be ignored. It's all part of who we are and where we're at. And, but Peter is offering people who are asking that same question who am I? Who are we? And he's offering them a bedrock, foundational, secure identity that actually begins to, I think, answer some of these questions that we have and honestly our neighbors have in this time of things. Peter is writing almost certainly from the city of Rome, almost certainly later in life. Uh, Peter being Peter, you sort of put the historical pieces together, you can make a pretty good guess that uh, some of the reason a whole bunch of Jews get kicked out of Rome during the reign of Emperor Claudius is because Peter is there being the impetuous stuck at itself. And as much as he wants Jesus and wants to leave, it may have been though the final thing to sort of stand off the edges. Seems like he stayed in Rome, even though a bunch of other Jews got exiled. And we know this both from Roman historians that we have there by us. We also know this from the book of Acts, telling us that a couple we met uh, earlier this last year, one of us, Philip and himself, had gotten booted from Rome when Claudius exiled a bunch of Jews. One of the places a bunch of Jews were exiled to was Asia Minor, where Peter is writing this letter. So where exactly how long after that Peter's writing is really hard to make a guess. But he's writing to people in Christian communities that looked to have been started or at least significantly boosted by this influx of Jewish Jesus followers who had been exiled from Rome, shipped off the Asian language. Which is what the Romans would often do, people they were living out. And are now in these new places, or at least new five to fifteen years ago, new places, and asking this question who are you? Because we're living in Pontius now, we're Bithynia, you know, we're in Galatia, but we, we are, we're not Bithynians, we're not Galatians, we're not Pontians, we're not, we're just not. Some of the Christians at that point would certainly have been Gentiles, again, reading through the Gospel letter and see those blue, but a good chunk of them are also clearly Jewish. And so there's that kind of identity, except that they're following Jesus now, so what do we do with that? 
And Peter, right at the beginning of his letter to his friend, people he undoubtedly knew at some number of personally, he's writing to his friends and he's giving them, reminding them, reinforcing for them their identity in Jesus. He says, Peter, who's identified himself, to the elect exiles, the chosen foreigners, if you will, this word that means people who live on the margin, people who aren't citizens of the place that they are living in. There's a certain precariousness when you aren't a citizen of the place you live. You know the guy who shows up to the beach wearing a suit and tie, or shows up to the opera wearing shorts and t-shirts or skis and jeans, right? Like you, they just stick out, right? I mean, there's, there's those people, and this is their continual experience. They stick out. They're, they're not really from there. They're from this other place, and they didn't really necessarily have a choice of getting there. And nowadays, we probably call them refugees, certainly in exile status. And Peter tells them, yeah, you're exiles, but he uses this word. You're the elect exiles. You're the chosen exiles. More on that in a minute. And more than that, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You've been chosen. The God who created the universe has chosen you. For the sanctification of the Spirit, the setting apart, the, the making separate, just calling that exile status again, but yet. Again, chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified, made separate, made holy, made unique by the Holy Spirit. For obedience, for following, for being close with Jesus. And yes, being sprinkled by his blood, all that you have done and all that you have done to you that is hurtful and harmful. That's who you are. He's using the baptismal formula, which we baptize in the Christian church at Jesus' command. We, what do we baptize with? We baptize people in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter reminding them of who they are, this identity Seem like much of a status, much of a, a hopeful, something you would aspire to, right? Living on the margins, living life on the outside, not being in the center of the community. But Peter is going to use this image to actually communicate deep and certain. See, he says, You have been born again. How do you become a citizen of a particular nation? You know, there's a variety of ways, right? It usually involves your know, forms and tests and background checks, and it's been the same in Rome as in now. There are ways to become a citizen if you're not already. The previous way is just being informed. Most people become citizens of where they're at because they just stay on the ground. 
is the most common way. And this is what Peter says. You have been born again to a living hope. God has suddenly stepped into your life. God has suddenly come to you, has chosen you, has elected you to be born again. You're now being kept. You have an inheritance that's kept for you, this form, and you're being kept for this inheritance, verse 5. This new people, this new identity, this new nation that you are now part of. Yeah, you're in exile where you're at right now. You're, you're a resident alien where you're at right now. But you have a inheritance, you have a nation, you have a sure and certain citizenship that cannot be taken away from you. And that is good news to people who feel on the outside. And let's be honest, in Seattle culture, there are times of being Christian now you can feel a little on the outside. I mean, in, in fewer ways, and sometimes even just in smaller ways, I, uh, I was with some folks actually, uh, like a little of friends, and uh, there was a character that shows uh, lawful good, which you know the DMV system, which basically means you always do the good thing, you do the good thing for the right reason. And it was amazing to me the reaction from some of the other people in the room, like this particular character being lawful good, like, oh, goody, goody two shoes, no fun, like, do we have to have a character with that, or do we have to? Like, just the mere possibility that someone would enjoy doing the right thing for the right reasons was just kind of a random concept. Friends, we're going to stick out if we accept this identity of this Christians. I mean, that's just sort of a silly, almost, I've heard you mention except that it kind of makes the larger point that even if you're just playing a game, Let alone all the other kinds of life choices that come our way. But what Peter is writing to people who are in far worse situation than any of us, what he's saying to them is this didn't happen by accident. Your situation came because God chose you. God is keeping you and offering you a future that already right now is doing things in your life. If you read these first nine verses, in fact, you go forward a little bit and you can count the first. There is not a single imperative. There is not a single action like you have to do this kind of work. It's entirely description. This is all just given to us. You are chosen sex. You have been given this identity in my father's spirit and son in that You have been given this inheritance. You are being kept. In fact, it's I need to take this out of You are being kept. You are like us, how being guarded through faith. In this, you rejoice. Again, description. 
this is what you're experiencing. To the extent that you've begun to taste how secure and certain and rich and full this is, you, you rejoice. It's just what you do. It's not a command, it's a description. If, though now, for a little while, if necessary, when necessary, you are leading by various trials. Those things are happening together, by the way. You rejoice as you begin to taste how rich Jesus is. And you are being free in various ways, as necessary, by various trials. So that the genuineness of the trust is a given trial and shine forth. We found the results in praise and glory and honor when we see Jesus face to face in Revelation from Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you well, and I don't know about you, but there are days where the love for Jesus is experienced it is not what characterizes, but it is what begins to permeate. It begins to be our more and more daily of not just knowing about him, but love for Jesus, though we haven't seen him. And though you do not now see him physically, you trust in him and rejoice with joy that he is trustful and filled with glory. In this way, already receiving the outcome, the telos, the goal, the thing that this is all about, the rescue and healing of your very self. So salvation means rescue. Friends, this is what we are invited to do. Individually, individually chosen, loved, provided in, held onto by the one who created. And together, as a people, collectively held on and guarded by the God who is making us his nation. This is the promise that as we begin to relax and trust and live into him and then he is for us. We're invited into he makes it sound like all the care of April, the trust, leading into this hope that's given to us, love for Jesus. And he summarizes it with this marvelous phrase, a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Again, I'm thinking for, I mean, I know most of you well enough that I'm thinking that none of us, our lives are as complicated or as on the edge as the people that Peter is writing to. But if Peter, who knows these people personally, is able to write to them and say that even in their life situation, which is precarious, in their situation, he can write with assurance that they're being given a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. I have to believe that that's what's on offer to us. Amen? That that's what we are invited to receive and live into. 
that whatever is on our plate, whatever is coming at us, whatever is disappointments or struggles or anxieties or fears, and in a bright way, yes, you and I, in a bright way, yes, life is precarious. But our hope is not. And that's the news that Peter invites us 